Welcome to Sakina Society. Towards tranquility in an age of turbulence. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another show of Sakina Society on Radio Ramadan. I am your host, Shahbaz Mirza, and this time we're talking about how to make your ideas happen, which is one of my favourite topics to be discussing on Radio Ramadan today. The Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, was a businessman, a trader, and once upon a time, Muslim civilization was at the heart of innovation, new ideas and advancement. Muslims invented the three-course meal, the elephant clock, we had the house of knowledge in Baghdad, and many other assets throughout the ages. The Islamic economy right now is an open playing field. There's new companies such as Bayana, we've all heard of, crowdfunding platforms, mobile apps, innovative charities, and many others. So how can we inspire and generate a new wave of Muslim entrepreneurs that tackles some of the world's pressing problems or simply launch something new that's a good business and does good at the same time? We've all watched The Apprentice, we've all seen Dragon's Den, and there's a new show called Stars of Science in Qatar. We all watch them, but how do we get involved? So in this show, we're going to cover solid, practical advice for the Muslims out there listening and what does it take to get their new charitable idea, social enterprise or start-up off the ground, regardless of what demographic you are. We're also going to discuss the barriers and pitfalls and what resources are out there to help you. So today with us, we have Ken Emery, founder of Funding Lab, and Naveed, who's the founder of many businesses such as I Love Fruit, the Boots and Beards Community Initiative, and another paper shop business as well. So, Ken, could you please give us, you know, a brief introduction to who you are and a bit about your background? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Good evening to all the listeners. Um, I'm Ken Emery, and uh, I work at the Prince's Trust. I've been working there for the last 13 years. Uh, prior to that, I had a career in the IT industry, working in Edinburgh, London, and overseas in Amman. And before that, I was an engineer uh, working in the Merchant Navy. Uh, my passion is uh, three things. I'm passionate about youth, uh, the environment, and what I would call disruption. That's a fantastic, Ken. Uh, it's a fantastic background and an international background too, uh, as well. So, um, Naveed, could you give us a bit of a brief background to yourself too, please? So, <coughs> my name is Naveed. Um, I'm 40 years old. I just turned 40 a few days ago. Um, um, I g- graduated from the, the University of Paisley. That was what it was called then, uh, in, a, in a marketing degree. Um, and then, uh, luckily, I was lucky to get a job in, in, in Kirk and Tillich. From there... Um, I always wanted to do my own thing, um, stumbled upon a site, opened up my first paper shop, which I still got, and then from there, just wanted more challenges, and Isle of Fruit was born, and from there, um, I just wanted to kind of do, some, some, do something a bit more uh, kind of outgoing, and uh, Boots and Beards was born from there. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. So, you know, a wide variety of experience we have in the show today and I myself am playing a double role as a host uh, but also as a guest as well so I'm going to be speaking a little bit about startups and Ramadan Legacy which was an Islamic app that we launched uh, a few years ago as well as a variety of other crowdfunding platforms and startups that I've been involved in as well 
Um, there's so many different types of ideas and, you know, you as the listeners listening into the show, you're hearing startups, you're hearing business, you're hearing social enterprise, you're hearing charitable initiative. There's various types of ideas out there. So let's let's clear the mist here in the start of the show. Ken, I want to ask you, you know, what exactly is a social enterprise? A social enterprise effectively is a business that runs for the common good. So it trades in the normal way as products or services to sell, which generates an income and its costs and expenditure, just like a normal business. However, if you like, its intent, its purpose is different. It's there to do uh, a common good. Uh, and rather than generating profits for shareholders, uh, the profits it makes is reinvested in the business for the general good. It's a fantastic, fantastic overview. And, I mean, you see, you, you see different types of social enterprises, small, large, and corporate as well. So you have... Pop and J, uh, which is a handbag company, and every time you buy a handbag, they donate a set of bags to you know a group of people in a poor country. So various different types of social enterprises. Let's move on to charitable initiatives. So, um, Navid, you mentioned Boots and Beards, and we were talking before the show, and you were saying you know it started off as a community project, it's eventually becoming a charity. So you know what what exactly? How do you start a charitable initiative? And uh, how do you sort of introduce that idea into the community? So um, Boots and Beards was born um, as a family project, first of all. And um, that was going on for about <clears throat> three or four months until word got round and they wanted to join the group as well and go out. Let, let, let me maybe go one step back what Boots and Beards is. Boots and Beards is a, is, uh, is a hill walking group. We basically go out every fortnight and we basically just pick a new uh, area. We just uh, go hill walking and kind of meet new people and, 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 and just take it from there. Um, one of the main reasons we wanted to do, to do that was to get young people out. I mean, I've got four boys and um, I um, wanted them to get out there at an early age and um, and I'm kind of away from all the the IT technology and TV and stuff. So it was it was important for me to kind of bond with them as well in an outdoor kind of peaceful environment. So that was Boots and Beards. It was a family project. Um, it then turned into a kind of a community initiative, and um, we um, thought that there are many other organisations who would like to kind of get involved with Boots and Beards, but. At this moment in time, we're just a community project. We've got nothing behind us. And to make us a bit more kind of, um, <clears throat> to give us a bit more of a status and uh, be a bit more formal, a bit, a, bit of a, a bit more of a formal kind of structure to it, we have to become a charity. And again, we've just applied to become that. It's new territory for me. I'm just learning all the all the ins and outs of what involves become a charity. But it's quite straightforward in doing that. There's a lot of help out there in helping you become a charitable status. I love that overview of, you know, how it started off as a community project and then eventually the model that you have, it doesn't work and you need to evolve and you need to grow over time. So we spoke about social enterprises and charitable initiatives. The other sort of area that we want to tap into is startups and, and small businesses. So there's there's often, you know, there these, these various types of um, ideas are often lumped into the one category, but in fact, they're very different. So a startup is normally an innovation-led enterprise. It's something which is quite new. It's quite disruptive. It's an idea which penetrates old thinking. And a small to medium enterprise is something which sells a product or a service. It's normally bricks and mortar, can even be online. 
Um, but it tend to, tends to take a different path to, to what a startup takes. So a startup needs a lot of funding at the start in order to acquire users, in order to get your capital outlay. And then you have a small to medium enterprise which is looking to generate cash flow as soon as possible so that it can sustain itself. So there's various different types of ideas out there. But aside from ideas, there's also various types of people. So there's listeners that might be students, there might be young professionals, middle-aged parents, uh, individuals which are, you know, just flowing through life, millennials, various different types of people these days. So, Ken, I know you've worked with a lot of young people in your career and, and your, you know, idea and in your aspect of being a social entrepreneur. If someone's a student or a young person at school, they've got no money, they've just got ideas and loads of innovation and passion and energy, what should they do to get their idea off the ground? I think the first thing to understand is, is the fundamentals of the business and the idea you're trying to develop and, and launch and create. First of all, you need to understand, is there a capital investment up front? Because that's fundamentally going to affect your approach. Um, a lot of lifestyle businesses can be started quite easily with no, um, no funding up front. For example, you know, take a very simple example, if you were going to... Um, start up a, a plumbing business and you've been through university and trained or whatever as a plumber or apprenticeship, um, you might just need your tools and things. So basic uh, cash outlay at the start might be quite minimal. Or if you're doing a hairdressing business, things like that are businesses that can start quite easily and cheaply, cutting grass, that kind of stuff. Um, where you need investment to get your business off the ground, crowdfunding is probably the number one most popular way to do that nowadays. And there's a plethora of crowdfunding platforms out there. Uh, some of the most common ones that are known would be Kickstarter, Indiegogo, LaunchGood, for example. Um, there's also organisations that can help you with funding. Uh, my own employer, Prince's Trust, provides uh, small uh, loans uh, to young people looking to set up a business. You've got Virgin as an initiative, and you've got things like Business Gateway. So there's a lot of options. And for the listeners here, Ken, uh, you mentioned two phrases there, uh, capital investment and crowdfunding. Could you briefly touch on what each of those are? Yeah, obviously, capital investment is money that you require up front uh, to get the business. Now, that might be for rent, for premises, to buy equipment, um, a lot of different reasons you, you might have cost up front before you can start trading. Um, crowdfunding is effectively an online platform where you're able to describe your project, uh, set it up in a system, advertise it, commonly done with a short video, which explains your business and why it's a good idea. And then through the crowdfunding platform, you can share it on social media and attract donations from people all around the world. Great outlay there, Ken, um, especially when you know, you're talking about sometimes you don't need money. You know, sometimes... Um, it's just about selling that idea and how well you are at selling that idea too. Sometimes I think of myself as a back alley entrepreneur because, to be honest, I never, I've crowdfunded myself. So Ramadan Legacy, um, we needed money for the, the development of the app, for the design of the app and for your operational, you know, monthly running of the actual company as well. So we used LaunchGood to to launch the to actually launch a crowdfunding campaign uh, to raise money. So we raised around seven thousand um, pounds online from family, friends and wider networks. But prior to raising seven thousand pounds I simply reached out to, you know, the affluent individuals within the Glasgow and Scottish Muslim community 
and I had a face-to-face -face meeting with him and I said, would you, would you give £1,000 to this new idea and back it? And those 10 face-to-face -face meetings that I had managed to secure 10 grand plus 7 grand crowdfunding and I started off with £17,000. Now in the big bad world, that doesn't sound like a lot, but to a small idea and a small startup, that's a lot of money. With you don't have to pay anything back to any investors. You don't have to, you know, have any sort of liabilities, whatever. It's just people that have backed you and your idea. So that's just a, a quick tip for individuals out there. Um, crowdfunding is definitely the way forward. And you know, crowdfunding is actually like a an age old concept. You know. Prophet Sallallahu and the Sahaba, when they were, you know, crowdfunding for charitable initiatives and raising money, that was a form of crowdfunding as well. So it's definitely within a religion and it dates back. Moving over to, you know, young professionals and perhaps, you know, a family man or a family woman and they're wanting to start out their idea. They've got various commitments, you know, they don't really know what to do, what way to turn. Naveed, could you touch upon these factors of, of entrepreneurship, please? So if you have a family um, or you're a family person and you want to do business, um, you've got pros and cons there already to, to, connect, to get you going. Let's start with the cons. Time. Now, I know um, having four boys and they're all under the age of 10 years old, that takes a lot of my time. And I have to have my partner who's got to have a lot of supper, a lot of patience, right? Because I'm doing a hundred things and she's waiting for me because the kids are doing her head in and I've got to run back home and I've got to sort the kids out and you have to have enough energy to kind of deal with that as well. So having a, fa having a, a young family and you, you have this ambition to do things, it, it, kind of, it, kind of it doesn't really drag you down. It doesn't really drag you down, but it gives you more of a push to get things done because you do have a young family. You have to look in the long run, in the future. You're more determined to get the job done. Um, if you have a family, the pro I was seeing that you have got members in the family, you can put, you can run that idea past them, and they can show you. So if you give them a pitch in the living room, they can tell you now. Do you know what? That, it's not going to work. Oh, do you know what? It might work if you change it this way or if you if you if you change tackling to that way. So if you've got a big family, they're more than happy to help you out. And that's a very good thing. I would say use your family to your advantage. Even to the point, even to and, and this is when Ken was saying, sometimes you don't need money in the start. And I agree with that because if you've got your family there, they will give you two hundred pounds and they'll just say, you know what, pay me back whenever. Okay, because they want to see you be successful. Um, and even to the point when you're starting up, one of the main things that you need is that you need manpower. Yeah, you need something to give you a hand or something. Uh, and they'll be, and your family members members will be happy to help you out. Um, so I would say use that to your advantage. Um, if you're a family man and you be a family woman as well, want to um, uh, run that business again, time is the biggest factor here because uh, we live in a time where ideas come and go very fast. They come very, go very, very fast, and you have to be on the ball sort of thing. You've got to act fast as well. So there are certain things you've got to look into, but you learn all that as you go along. Thanks for those uh, tips and the guidance if you're you know, a family person uh, and you're trying to get your idea off the ground. Let's move on to this big word which is going to pop out, and that's experience. It's all about having business experience, social enterprise experience, charitable experience, 
But I think the listeners would be, you know, very keen to find out is that when you're starting something, you actually have no experience. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how it's going to plan out. Uh, you don't know what way it's going to go. So, Ken, um, we've been involved in a few initiatives in the past, and we've always spoke about an initiative that you ran called Funding Lab. I want you to briefly tell the listeners what's your personal experience in, in, in founding Funding Lab and where it's at today. Yep, um, I totally understand uh, where everyone's coming from in terms of the experience because it seems very daunting. I think in general, any time you're going to undertake something new, it's a little bit scary. You're going outside your comfort zone and you've never done it before. So it's natural to question yourself whether you've got the skills, the ability, the experience, the knowledge and all those things to do it. I would definitely say it's like anything that takes you out of your comfort zone. It is a leap of faith and you've got to have a little bit of confidence in yourself and back yourself. And I think importantly, you've got to be, uh, you can't be afraid of failure because there's always, you're doing something that's a little bit risky. So it might not work, but you should be comfortable with that. If you look at most entrepreneurs, They've all had business failures and, you know, things that have gone wrong, things that have gone bust, ideas that they thought were great, which never took off. You know, Sir Clive Sinclair and some of his inventions uh, comes to mind. So I think don't be afraid of failure. I don't think the skills thing is actually the issue. I understand why people worry about that. But when I started uh, Funding Lab, I had never started a charity in my life. And you can learn things quite easy. There's a lot of people out there, especially now with social networking, things like that, um, where you can get advice. Um, Oscar's got a fantastic website. They're they, they've got specialists there and people to support you. So I think that it's more about the, the softer values. For me, um, you need to have passion, commitment, and you need to work hard because it's going to take a lot of hours, not just at the start, but all the way for good. And you need to find the time in, in your life. It's a, comes back to something else. I've heard a very good lecture before, Islamic lecture on balance. And balance is so important in our lifestyle if we want to have that kind of equilibrium. And for me, your business needs to fit in your top five priorities or it's not going to survive. And number one is a job. Number two is your family. Number three is your religion. Um, on top of that, you've got to sleep, pray and eat each day. So there's only one slot left. And if you don't give that fifth slot to your business, it's not going to fly. Mm -hmm. So I think making the time and the commitment. And commitment also requires a certain amount of resilience because it's not going to be easy going every day. So it's going to be ups and downs. Sometimes things don't work out to plan. Mm -hmm. So you need lots of energy, passion, commitment, resilience and hard work. Uh, some fantastic pieces of advice there. Naveed, we've so said these words, I love fruit. I've been on the I love fruit website. I've used I love fruit. It's a small to medium enterprise. Tell the listeners, how did you get it off the ground? What sort of challenges have you faced in I love fruit? And how did you get it to where it is today? So I love fruit. Where can I start? <laughs> I love fruit came about, funnily enough, it came through a paper shop. Do you know that? And you find some of the best ideas come from the most bizarre places, right? It came from a paper shop. Um, I'm based in Bells Hill. And, um, and you know what? I'm the only... Sh what, what? By my background, I'm a marketing person. So I've never had a paper shop in my life. Okay, it came across, I just stumbled upon a site. The landlord said to me, she goes, Nav, 
uh, my passion was juice bars. I wanted to open up a juice bar. This is going back about 15 years ago. And uh, I couldn't get a site anywhere. And um, uh, through Business Gateway, they told me about um, a site in Bells Hill. I went over there and the landlord goes, now nah, I love your idea, but this place is crying out for a, pipe, a paper shop. And I'm thinking, paper shop? That's not me. I'm not a paper shop. I'm a graduate. I'm a marketing person. But then I thought, hold on. It doesn't take rocket science to open one of them up. And you know what? Eleven years later, I'm still there. I've got a small, sh I've got a small office in the back. I've got Wi-Fi. I've got internet, and I've got access to the world. So how I Love Fruit came about was one day somebody phoned the shop and said, "Oh, I found you in, on the website, and um, can you deliver me a fruit basket?" And this was a school. And I'm thinking, "Yeah, I can do that." And I'm a sort of person. I'll just say yes to anything. Okay, yeah, I can do that. Come on. Not going to say no to a note. Not, not going to say no to a sale. And then, um, and she goes, yeah, we've got we've got a, a budget of a thousand pounds. We want one every week or something. I thought, yeah, yeah, we can do that. It's not a problem. It's not that far away from from the shop either. So that was one customer, and she was happy. And um, at that time, Isla Fruit wasn't born. And then I got another phone call for somebody else, and this wasn't our school. This was an office in the park. But one of my customers, she goes, uh, Nav, listen. Um, we, we've got a healthy eating initiative happening in the park. Can you give us a fruit basket? I'm thinking, that's two orders I've had in about a month, right? Let me look into this. And again, if you've got if you've got Wi-Fi in, in uh, again, if you have a good internet or if you have if time to surf the internet, you've got access to the world. Trust me, you can. You've got ideas. You can. You can just plug it in, do some research. So anyway, I thought, yeah, I said. I said, I said yes to that sale as well. And that, again, that was a contract I got for about two or three years. It was a fruit basket. And then I, I went back. I, I go, you know what? Maybe something there, right? And I looked around, did some more research. Again, it takes time running a paper shop and try to do research at the same time. But I managed to find time. It took me a wee bit of a while. Um, and then I spoke to family members. I said, listen, I need a good catchy name. I need a good catchy name. So I had my I had my sister on the, on the on the phone and, and uh, I was buying all these domain names, and she goes to me she goes look up I love fruit is that available, and you know what it was available and I bought that domain name there and then, right, I bought it and from then I just thought, um, let's grow this now, and um, from that I just basically done some research I looked at America I looked at Australia I looked at all these places that are got kind of a hotter climate than we have because fruit is more readily available to see what they're doing with it and from there I just made chocolate strawberries, fruit bouquet these sort of things and and people just go online, order it and I send it out and that's it so it's great, yeah, something different from the paper shop That's a beautiful story to hear um, and I mean I guess all great entrepreneurial uh, idea stories happen like that you, you don't really know where it comes from and it takes you to a place which is you know alhamdulillah you know great for your learning and your experience and your your wealth and your income as well so we're touching upon the end of the first part of the show alhamdulillah we've heard about you know social enterprises we've heard about personal experience uh, the various types of people that can get involved and some you know good pieces of advice some good gems and resources out there as well after the break, we want to talk about, you know, what are the barriers that people face uh, when they're, they're having their ideas and they want to get it off the ground? And then what we actually want to do is go through a step-by-step -step roadmap for getting your idea off the ground. We're going to go through 10 areas. How do you exactly do your research, put together a business plan, form a team, and perform a marketing plan as well? 
And now we want to talk a little about what are the barriers that founders, entrepreneurs, individuals face when going through their journey of the idea. And then what we want to provide the listeners is with a step-by-step roadmap for getting your idea off the ground. So if you have a pen and paper handy, I would strongly encourage you to take some notes as this is going to be very practical and very informative for the listeners out there. So when you have an idea and, you know, as the community as a whole, as the Scottish Muslim community, there are certain barriers which may or may not be in place. But we want to stimulate some discussion to, dis- to see are there barriers in place and how do we overcome them? So in Scotland, we have this sort of general culture of being risk averse and it happens in the UK as well. But this is now slightly changing. You know, many individuals enter jobs and they stay there. And uh, individuals tend to sort of conform to being in this kind of nine to five job and they sort of they're scared to take this kind of leap of faith. Ken, what I want to ask you, being, you know, involved in full time work as well as having your 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 startups as well. How do you make that leap or how do we change this sort of cultural barrier that we have? Yeah, I think the first thing is, like we said before, is is not being afraid of failure. Um, I know we're quite risk-averse as a society, although it's interesting to note that the Asian community in the UK has a far higher startup rate than the average uh, British population. So certainly within the Asian uh, Muslim community, there is um, a natural tendency to be entrepreneurial and to start businesses, and I guess there's lots of examples of that around us. So I think it's, it's in, the, in the blood, <laughs> as they say. So I, I think... That's a good start. I think sometimes people fear worrying about what other people will say. And I think that's just something you've got to get over. If you're that kind of person, then it's going to be difficult to take that leap of faith. Um, failure happens, and it's not a fault. It happens for all sorts of reasons, so we need to get over that. In terms of cultural uh, barriers, um, I think you know the kind of new generation of young Muslims are losing a lot of that kind of cultural baggage, if we might say that. Um, I think they are much more innovative. Um, They're much more uh, comfortable with their identity, both the religious identity and Scottish identity. And certainly the young people that I meet um, are very confident about themselves and who they are and the fact that they're they're, they're proud to be Scottish. Um, I would also say as as a potential entrepreneur, it's important to what I call lower your running costs. Uh, the less your burn rate is each month in terms of what you need to support yourself and possibly your family, the more flexible you're going to be. Because as an entrepreneur, quite often it's tough at the beginning and you might not even be able to draw down any salary. So you can be living a little bit uh, hand to mouth. So having low running costs is is conducive uh, to an, an entrepreneurial lifestyle. And I think as a community, um, we need to back our talent Uh, more obviously. For example, why don't we have a Scottish Muslim incubator? Um, When we were working in Pakistan through Funding Lab, we were working with people like Plan 9, which is the largest tech incubator in in Pakistan, uh, working with Lums uh, University. And all of these organisations, all the leading universities in Pakistan have got incubators. And if you start to look at the Pakistan startup scene now, it's youth-led, It's very tech, very innovative, and very thriving. And it's certainly way ahead of anything the Muslim community in Glasgow is doing. So what you're saying there, Ken, is that, you know, 
when you're in a in a job or you're in your profession, you can you can have your startup, your business on the side, and it's actually advantageous because you can get your income from your 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 day job as well as um, that sustains you. And then, with the time that you have after work, you can you can work on your idea and your side ideas as well. And of course, having a, a Scottish incubator, a Scottish Muslim incubator, an ideas hub would be fantastic. And perhaps you know the arc here can be you know a, a, a good fortress for that in the future as well. So some great ideas and organisation, I think, is key. We see it in other communities, the Jewish community and various other communities as well, very organised. They're 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 fit for the future. So perhaps we need to be fit for the future as well and we can be inshallah Naveed you touched earlier upon you know business gateway and various other resources out there do you think that there's you know enough resources out there specifically for the Scottish Muslim community could I before I, 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 come, I come to this question I want to kind of just touch upon what Ken said about um, the barriers um, I think some of the some of the barriers which are crucial, which are stopping us. The number one, which is which is stopping us from doing anything, is yourself. It's you the only one who's going to make this happen. By you wasting your time watching movies till twelve till twelve at night, or by going for a shisha, or by what you call just going out for a what you call um, for, a, for for a laugh with the lads or whatever, wasting your time. That business idea is not going to go off the ground itself. You need to, would you call, get your finger out and actually do something. Um, so that, that's the, that is the, that is the, the biggest bite is yourself. You're holding yourself back while everybody else is, do, is being successful is you. So you need to take a step back and say, you know what? This year is my year and I'm going to make it happen. Right? This year, I've got the ideas been in the back of my head for about two or three months or for two or three years and I've done nothing about it. Now's the time. I'm getting old, I'm, I'm going to get married in about five years' time or whatever, I'm going to make this happen. So you're the biggest barrier. I think the other biggest barrier are, um, and you find it quite a lot in, in the Asian community, is, is other people, they'll put you down, they'll talk you out of it. And I think that's a lot of nonsense. When you get this glass bowl, this kind of glass bowl mentality that Glasgow's everything and that's it, there's nothing else out there, that is totally wrong. You need to go out there and be risky and take that take that plunge and make it work. If it doesn't work, to help, that's fine. doesn't matter. You gave it a try. That little idea, never, you never worked. Move on. There's loads of ideas out there. Um, competition. Sometimes Asians don't let anyone know that in case he might steal my idea. Oh, no, I've, I've had this idea. And Listen, if they're going to steal your idea, it will happen. If it's whatever's well, it meant to you, meant to be for you, it'll be for you. But you need to get the ball rolling and just kind of test the market a little bit as well. So you need to get out your, oh, kind of like, I'm going to sit in this corner and no one's going to come and steal my idea. Listen, if you're in that corner with the idea, it's going to stay in that corner. So you just be a bit more bold and let, let nature take its course, sort of thing. Um, and money. Money is seen as a, as a kind of a, a barrier of, uh, oh, I've been told I need 100 grand to start a business, but I've only got two or three. Nowadays, you can do a lot with the internet, right? I Love Fruit, I'll be honest with you, little do they know I Love Fruit is run from the back of a paper shop, right? But I get orders from America, right? The fact that because I haven't got a retail front, you could have, your website could look really nice, and they cost about £300, and you can have a really nice website which can look, makes you look as if you are a proper business. So you don't need a lot of money to get the ball rolling. Um, you asked a question about um, 
uh, about about Business Gateway. So Business Gateway, uh, to be quite honest with you, uh, I wouldn't have been in Business Park through Business Gateway. Um, they wanted me to do a business plan, and I hated business plans. I just couldn't do the whole financial costing and all that sort of stuff. The guy actually sat down and goes, Nav, I'll do it for you, because I've pestered him so many times. He goes, I'll do it for you. So we sat there, we did all the numbers, and you know what? It worked. And now, and now when I say, uh, when somebody comes to me and goes, Nav, I've got a great idea, I say to them, have you got a business plan? I tell them, have they got a business plan? And they'll say, no, I haven't. I goes, well, listen, just go back, make up some numbers, even if it's not going to work, just get a business plan going. At the end of this, it's all about the money. So people like Business Gateway, they are there to help you. You just need to pick up the phone and, and make that call. You mentioned, Naveed, about this sort of uh, being in a corner mentality. Uh, do you feel that in the Glasgow community there's a certain like lack of awareness of what happens out there in the big world? And, and what can we do to actually tackle it, to expand people's minds? Yeah, I think I think the Muslim community should be a bit more forthcoming. They should be a bit more positive in pushing people. And I still find that but we're not. I don't know why that is, but we're not very forthcoming in pushing other people to to start their own business. It's like as if um, he's graduated, he's, only, he's let him find his own two feet. I, th I think that's a very kind of backward mentality to look at. We are a community, we're a good thriving community, and when we put, our, when we put our, our, our heads and minds to it, and we put pen to paper, we do actually make it work. But all we need is a bit of encouragement. Um, like you said, you went to the 10... I would say chiefs of Glasgow or something. You've got people. You've got people who have money, and you you must have put a good pitch to them. But the fact that you've done that, I mean, these people are there. They 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 must have loved your idea for them to give you cash. So I think we should be a bit more forthcoming and let people know. Listen, if you have got money, if you have got a good idea, come to me. I mean, I'll be happy to invest in your business if, if you think you've a good idea. So I think we should be a bit more forthcoming and a bit more... Brilliant. Thank you. I want to move on to the last part of the show, which is taking the listeners through a step-by-step -step roadmap for getting their idea off the ground. We've heard of lots of ideas. We've got a, a roster of idea gurus sitting in front of me here. So the first area, you know, in any idea is, is doing the research and actually validating your idea. Naveed, you touched earlier upon that you did research for I Love Fruit. How do you actually going about doing it, if you can briefly comment? Research, my, what my tool was, um, I used to go on to just Google. I used to type in something which I thought might be that, what I'm looking to do. And then you have a whole list of images that would come up and you just click on them and say, okay... And all you've got is an image to go by if, if you're product-based. All you've got is an image to go by. You've then got to think, how do they do that? Now, you can't pick up the phone to somebody in Australia and say, listen, I love your idea. How did you do that? No one's going to tell you. No one's going to give you that information over the phone. You actually need to kind of start by buying the stuff and just kind of playing about with it and say, that kind of looks like what I've seen in that, in that picture. Um, and when you try and take your own photographs of the image and you put it on your website and say you sell it, do you know what? You know you've done something right when that customer comes back the week after and books again. You have know you've done something right. Um, or, you, or you need to maybe make a few tweaks. Or you always, what I always do, always ask the customer, what did you think and how did you find it? Always get feedback. This is, this is, you, you, and this is stuff you don't have to pay for. So things like go to Pinterest. Pinterest is great. I love Pinterest. Right, um, Instagram is good as well. Not as good. I don't I do use Instagram that much, but Pinterest is, is very good. Um, Facebook again. You can. I mean, we live, we live in a global village. Everything's around the corner as such. Right. All you need is just, you just have a creative mind. Personally, when when I um, 
what you want to look into is if if you can copy, and I'll be, I'll be blunt with you, if you can copy someone else's idea but do it in a better way, that's half the job done. Fantastic words, Navid. Um Also, you know, when we were doing the, the research for Ramadan Legacy, it was all about, you know, what other Islamic apps are out there. So I actually spent, I've got a different story to you, but I actually spent eight months looking at other Islamic apps. What were they doing right? What did they provide? What did they not provide? How many downloads did they get? What was their app ratings on iOS and Android? What was the, like the construct of the brand? And what it really gave me a, a strong inkling as to, you know, what's the gap? You know, what's the gap out there? How do you fulfill that gap and how can you be different? You know, but then you move on to, you know, how do you structure your idea? Like, is it a legal entity? Is it just something that you run on the side? How, is there a thing such as a registered social enterprise or do you just register as a company? Ken, could you touch upon that, please? Yes, I, I think this is an area that everyone's actually naturally very scared and, uh, and afraid of. It's the whole governance, uh, legal structure, set up. Um, probably the finance and accounts. Uh, I think everyone finds that very daunting because it's it's just something that's obviously very important, but you don't necessarily uh, have the skills or experience of it. It's not the kind of thing you get taught at school or that. <clears throat> in terms of setting up a charity, um, Oscar's the go-to in Scotland. And um, they actually have made it very easy. So, for example, if you t set up the government's preferred charitable model, which is called a SCAO, a Scottish Charitable Incorporated Organisation, that would be my default uh, option for setting up a charity in Scotland. And once you make a decision to set up a SCAO charity, they've actually got templates already there for you to download. So in terms of your um, charitable uh, Articles, yeah, articles of association. You just download their standard template and then edit it to put in your particulars, your address, your trustees, those kind of bits and pieces. You can modify some of the clauses if you really want to, but the standard template's ready to go. Um, and in terms of the financial side, I would say the main thing to get is a good accountant. Um, a receipts and payments, if you're under £100,000 a year in terms of trading, um, which most charities are, um, you can qualify for what's called receipts and payments, which is very simple accounting. Basically, you record in your expenditure and your income. And a good accountant, I use Hardy Caldwell um, up at past the passport office at the top of the city. And they were, they, they're specialists in, in charitable accounting and very supportive and helpful. And moving on now um, to the first 12 months, the first 24 months, you know, in your idea. Naveed, what are some of the things, what are three, king, three things that people should focus on? It depends if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you've got a website. I think the thing you need to focus on is um, getting some of, just some of your products on, do them properly, yeah. Uh, B, getting a good website. Uh, and uh, the third one, I would say, brush up on your um, if, again, if you, I'm going by the Isle of Fruit business here, is brush up on your uh, SEO skills. Is how to basically um, uh, be on top of the, um, the ranking, the Google ranking, how to have the buzzwords in there, how to have the Google AdWords. Just, again, these are all the things you can learn for free through Business Gateway, through online kind of YouTube. YouTube is brilliant, by the way. YouTube is very good. You guys need to look at YouTube, and there's people out there who make videos, and they're happy sharing this information with you. Thank you, Naveed. Uh, the next stages um, that you kind of go through is, you know, we touched upon this earlier. You have a business plan, you know, and a financial plan as well. Ken, how do you, 
how do you construct a business plan and are there anything, any available resources online which can help people do it in a jiffy? Yeah, there's loads of templates out there on business plans and, of course, they all vary slightly differently in terms of structure. It's a bit like writing a CV. There's no perfect answer how to do a business plan, but there's a lot of commonality between them all. Essentially, in a business plan, you're going to have to describe your product or service. If you can't describe it, then people aren't going to invest in your business. Um, you need to know the cost uh, of that delivering that service or producing the product. And you also know, need to know the income you're going to gain from it. You need to look at the market and competition. And you need to know what the customer is looking for, what they want, and what's your unique selling points. Uh, you'll need to have a marketing plan and, and budget. And most importantly, you need to know the profit and loss that you're going to forecast for the first two years. Next step, you know, when you have an idea is, you know, how do you actually form that team? So you've done the research, you've, you know what's, how to structure the idea, you've got your business plan, financial plan, etc. But then you need a team of people to actually get that off the ground. And I mean, one of the things that I'm a proud advocate of is getting your friends involved. A lot of the ideas, a lot of the startups that I'm involved in that are social enterprises or, you know, they're for profit and they're very large and they've received, you know, large amounts of funding. I'm actually working alongside my friends. And with that, there's positives and negatives. The positives is that you know them already, you know the culture, you know the environment, you know their strengths and weaknesses. But then the negatives is that you get your friends involved in your business life and, you know, you can have a few arguments, etc. But what I personally feel is that when you can lead and construct a team perfectly and you can train them and look after them, your idea always takes its own arms and legs and flies into the sky. And even prophetically, the Prophet Muhammad, when he was talking about leadership, when he was leading the Sahaba and leading the many different initiatives that he's had, he he always advocated that, you know, when you're leading or when you're, you're forming a team, you should always look after those individuals that are in your team, looking after your subjects, as the Hadith says. And also leading from the back. So you never sort of run, you know, headstrong into your idea, into your startup, and you leave everyone else behind. You stand behind them, make sure that they're guided, and serve those individuals. And, you know, that also leads us into the next sort of area, which is, you know, talking about the brand, the brand of your idea. We've got I Love Fruit, Funding Lab, Ramadan Legacy. The brand is all about, you know, how do you convey, you know, your idea in the best possible way that connects with the individual that actually wants your product or service. So when we were looking at Ramadan Legacy, we were thinking, you know, how how do we name a new app for a month that's over 1,400 years old? We can call it the Ramadan app, My Ramadan, or whatever it may be. But we wanted to stand out and be different because naturally when you're searching on the app stores and when you're searching online and you Google Ramadan, a whole host of things come up. So we decided to, on the name Ramadan Legacy, now how did that name come about? It came from a random conversation with a very good friend in Costa Coffee Shop in West Nile Street. And so, you know, your brand is really, uh, you can look up what does a brand mean, you know, the brand values. Everyone always talks about Apple and Tesla and these brand ideas. But brands, I personally think, come from conversations that you have with people about your product, about your new idea. And then when you do have your brand, it's you and it's your team and it's your plan and it's your game plan, etc., But then you need other organizations and companies to actually get your brand, your idea out there. 
Ken, can you touch upon, you know, what are the partnership strategies that people can have in place? How can they work with other organisations? Yeah, partnership strategies, I think, is a really important part of, uh, like you say, getting other people on board who can help you in your business. Um, I think there's a couple of things I would say make a good partnership. Um, First of all, there needs to be mutual benefits. Uh, It can't just all be about you what's in it for the other partners. So there needs to be a mutual benefit. And I would say also shared values and vision. Um, Without that, the partnership um, may look good in paper, but may ultimately fail later on if there's disparity in terms of vision and objectives and and that kind of stuff. Um, Some examples of partnerships we had, we needed to be able to deliver on the ground in Pakistan in terms of supporting young entrepreneurs so we set up relationships with incubators there like Plan 9 and LUMS. Um, in terms of working in Gaza Strip, we needed funding and we had a partnership with Interpol. Uh, and the final one I would mention is Napier University, who we used uh, through a f- Scottish funding grant to get access to university know-how and tech expertise to help uh, develop the architecture. So what you're saying there, Ken, is that you almost have to identify the gaps or the missing pieces of the jigsaw in your own idea and and form partnerships with other organisations that can help you fill that idea. And that's something that we did um, with Ramadan Legacy is that, you know, Ramadan, as last year, Muslims in Ramadan in the UK donated £100 million. And we ran our own campaign through the app actually last year and we raised £26,000 to build four water systems in Syria. Now, we're not going to go to Syria and deliver that aid and build those water systems. So we partnered with a, a Muslim NGO uh, that helped, uh, that basically served as a charitable, you know, registered organisation that collects the money and, you know, deploys that project on the ground. So, guys, for the listeners at home, you don't have to do everything yourself. You know, identify the gaps, identify the things that you want to do in your business, but perhaps another company or organisation is already set up and simply strike a conversation and a partnership which is mutually beneficial. We spoke about the business, the financial plan, the research, the team, the brand, the strategies and, and everything else. But I think one of the hottest topics and one of my personal topics which I am so passionate about is marketing. How do you get that idea into the community? How do you get that idea into the market, into the nation and across the world? So, Ken, let's let's both have a discussion on this. Um, you've obviously been involved in Princess Trust. You've seen probably a variety of marketing plans, funding lab, and you've also spoken about before the show about Eco Ranch and various other ideas. And how do you, I mean, should people make a marketing plan or should they simply, you know, try and tell as many people about it? Should they utilise social media? What's been your personal experience with marketing? I think so, social media is obvi- obviously something that we can't ignore uh, today. It's, it's the main tool that people use to share and promote information. I think we've also talked earlier about networking and face-to-face networking and attending networking events and how some people are good at that and not so good. Um, but it is an important part of any entrepreneurial's uh, toolkit. Um, I think you, you do need word of mouth. Um, you obviously need success stories. Uh, it's a kind of bootstrapping experience. It's difficult to sell a concept because if there's no physicality to it, if, it's, if you haven't delivered any products or service. So obviously you need to build the brand and awareness, but then as you start to 
uh, operate as a business, you, you tell stories, and you get ideally you get other people to tell your stories for you because that's more powerful. So there's a lot of variety of things you can do to market your business, um, social media, um, word of mouth, recommendations, um, partners promoting you, other cross-referrals and websites, a lot of different things you can do. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, with my back alley entrepreneur hat on, um, for the listeners out there, this is how I would personally construct a marketing plan. So I open up Microsoft Excel on my trusty laptop and um, so when it came to Ramadan Legacy, I thought, you know, how do we get this app, you know, t- for, for everyone to know about this new Islamic app in Ramadan? So I <coughs> constructed a list of um, 200 of the most popular Islamic Facebook pages, um, about 100 of the most popular Twitter accounts um, and Instagram accounts as well from, from all different ranges and genres. And then also with PR, so, you know, listing The Guardian, who's the key contact there, listing Al Jazeera, who's the key contact there, and basically going through this huge exercise of creating a database of who's everyone that I need to contact to tell about this app. And simply two, three weeks before Ramadan, contacting everyone, constantly harassing them, telling them about the app, telling them about what we're doing, and ticking it off in the Excel list. And, and truth be told, at the end of year one in Ramadan Legacy, we ended up with 150,000 users, which is, um, in, in global terms, you know, a phenomenal rate um, to get uh, in your, your actual your first launch of your product. So did we construct huge budgets, etc.? No, we didn't. We simply done this very kind of quick fire, easy way of creating a marketing plan. We created a list of everyone that we need to, to tell about our new product and simply went about contacting them with our team. Um, so we've touched upon a lot of areas, um, Ken and Naveed, and it's been a fantastic show to have both of you on. Um, this step-by-step roadmap, I think, um, has been very fruitful, I think, for myself to hear from both of your experiences too, um, and, and actually sort of um, launching, you know, taking an idea, how do you get it to launch, and what are the practical steps that people need to take to get there as well. So for the listeners, thank you very much for listening to the Sakina Society show on Radio Ramadan. We hope this has been beneficial for you. And please reach out to us online, any of the guests, for some further uh, idea advice. And inshallah, we'll hope to see you on the next show. Assalamu alaikum.